terrific tension. Terrific tension. We began two weeks ago this series on moments that became tense, not between Jesus and the haters, Jesus and the skeptics, Jesus and the devil, Jesus and the Pharisees. These are moments, interesting enough, where Jesus had a tense exchange with the people he loved. Because sometimes we have to have hard conversations in life. Sometimes if we really love people, we must create room for terrific tension. Again, Jesus, we began with John chapter 2. We had a moment where Jesus had a tense moment with his mama. His mother told him, hey, go, go get some wine, make some wine. And there was a tense exchange. Last week we talked about the tense moment Jesus had with Peter, one of his most famous charismatic disciples. One moment Jesus said, you're the rock. The next moment he says, Satan, get thee behind me. That's a tense moment indeed. Today's tense moment is very compelling, very powerful. Jesus had followers. Jesus had disciples. But what if I tell you that Jesus had some close friends? He had friends. Matter of fact, he had a, a friend, a particular friend, that when his friend died, he cried publicly. Everyone saw him. Woo! He cried. He was broken. And his friend with his Lazarus' sisters, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, when Jesus would go through that region, he would sleep in that house. He would be fed by that family. They supported his ministry. They bore witness to the miracles he did. These were not just followers. These were friends. And then something crazy happened. And I want to lay it out for you, but let me make it legal. The, the, the title, by the way, today is, whether you like it or not, I'm going in. Whether you like it or not, I'm going in. Please, just repeat after me. Whether you like it or not, I'm going in. And here's the subtitle. The people around you cannot stop the calling upon you. I'll repeat that for the hearing impaired. The people around you cannot stop the calling upon you. The biblical narrative is found in John chapter 11. Let me begin with point one, and then I'll read some verses to substantiate it. Point one is the tension of waiting. The tension of waiting. When God loves you so much that he waits. That makes no sense, right? But it does. God loves you so much that he waits. You want God to show up on Monday, and all of a sudden he waits to show up on Friday. But why would God wait? John chapter 11, verse 3. The two, the two sisters said the message to Jesus, telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. His friend Lazarus, his buddy, his amigo, his homie, his buddy is sick. The sisters send the message. But when the Lord, when Jesus heard about it, he said this. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, though he loved them, he stayed where he was for the next two days. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. If you're under 30, you have no idea what I'm singing now. <laughs> yeah, Google it. All right. Jesus, an iconic song. Isn't it? Jesus had a friend. His name was Lazarus, two sisters, Mary and Martha. Dear friend, Lazarus, one of his great faithful followers gets sick. His sisters, based on what they said, stood privy to the wonder-working power in Jesus. 
so much so they pleaded for his presence in order to save their brother. And Jesus loved Lazarus, that's what the Bible says. He loved Mary, he loved Martha. Here it is, Jesus, we need you to get over here. Your buddy, one of your closest friends is sick. And if you don't get here on time, he will die. He will die. But if you get here, because we've been there, we've seen you show up, we've seen you do the thing. So come here and do the thing. So yes, all you got to do is do the thing. And even, by the way, on other occasions, Jesus didn't even need to physically show up. There was an option, not just for Jesus to be there. There was an option for Jesus to say, I'm going to stay where I'm at, but I'm going to do the thing from here. He didn't do either. He not only did not do the thing where he was at, he didn't show up. With intentionality, he waited. Come on, this makes no sense. If you loved him, why didn't you wait? That's your friend. Why wouldn't you at least send the word, Lazarus, your sickness ends today. Boom, done. Why didn't he show up in person like they were asking? What is it about, ooh, ooh, God, that sometimes he doesn't show up when we want him to show up? Or when we think he should show up. We wait, we, God, show up tomorrow, please, Monday. And God said, no, I'm, I'm not going to show up on Friday. What is it? True love knows how to wait. True love waits for the perfect time. True love has self-control. True love knows the difference between a want and a need. True love is not presumptuous. True love is always on time. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient. Why did he wait? There's a difference between God doing something in you and God doing something through you. There is a difference between God accommodating your temporary want and providing your long-term need. There's a difference between you experiencing a private breakthrough and God giving you a public testimony. I'm going to rewind that one. There's a difference between God giving you a private breakthrough and God facilitating a public testimony. What does this mean, preacher man? If Jesus would have healed Lazarus before he died, it would have limited the impact. By waiting, not only did Lazarus experience the glory of Christ, but the Bible says that many came to Jesus because of the miracle. The timing of God's intervention is directly proportional to the magnitude of the outcome. The measure of the weight is directly proportional to the magnitude of the testimony. In other words, it may not be the right time for you, but when it's God's time, I want to make this clear. God's timing is not about satisfying your feelings. God's timing is about strengthening your faith. What does this mean for you and I? I'm here to tell you whatever you've been praying for, whatever you've been fasting for, whatever you've been fighting for. You, I know you've been saying, but I've been doing this for months, for weeks, some of you for years. You need to put a smile on your face. You're not waiting because God forgot about you. You are waiting because God is preparing something greater for you. You're going to get it in a second. When God waits, it's not to punishing. It's not punishing you. God is not holding back because he's trying to make you beg. He doesn't need you to make you beg. You don't need to beg God. It's not because he's punishing you. It's not because he's testing you. The reason God is waiting, he's maximizing the outcome. The, but the moment God says, now is the time, more 
People will see the glory of Jesus through your testimony than ever before in all of your life. You're not getting it. If he would have done it a year ago, only you would have known about it. But now God's about to do something in you. God's about to show up for you in such a way that even your friends, your family members, even your haters are going to have to testify. Look what the Lord has done. God waits, it's to maximize the impact. And when God says now, it will not only bless you, it will bless everyone who knows you. At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. Isaiah 60, 22. The Lord will make it happen. Repeat after me. The Lord will make it happen. Say it like you believe it. The Lord will make it happen. Can you please touch the neighbor that doesn't want you to touch him and tell him, the Lord will make it happen. I don't hope it, I don't think it, I don't feel it, I know. I said, I know. I know God will make it happen. 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 It may not be when you want it, but it's when God wants it to maximize, to maximize the outcome. Wait a second. Verse 4. Let's read it again. When Jesus heard about it and said, Lazarus, the sickness will not end. I'm sorry, will not what? Jesus never said that Lazarus would not go through death. Jesus said it would not what? The moment those words came out of Jesus, the moment Jesus said, whatever happens next, the end result, Lazarus will be alive. The moment Jesus said that, the only possible outcome was the fulfillment of the words of God. God, you didn't get that. No, no, no. The only outcome is what God promised. The moment the words came out of Jesus, the moment Jesus said it, it had no choice but for it to materialize. Let there be light. The moment God opened up and said, let the, the moment, and that's why God cannot lie. Whatever comes out of his mouth automatically becomes the truth in the end. If Jesus said it, it has to come to pass. It's not an option. It's not this thing. If Jesus said it, it comes to pass. It's, there, there are no conditional sort of outcomes. There's no way for you to go around it and go, but it only if one, two, three. No, no, no. If God said it, it will come to pass. There's a reason Lazarus came back to life. Because Jesus never said Lazarus would not die. He said he would not end up dead. I'm here to tell you in the name of Jesus, as it pertains to your family and your faith and your future, God's promise is the only outcome. Oh, y'all didn't get that. I don't give a holy hoot what the devil did in the past. I don't care for you to write more on Facebook about generational curses. All I'm here to tell you, I don't care what the enemy did or what you did. The moment Jesus said it, it will come to pass. The moment there's a promise in scripture, the moment you are in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 19 and 20, all of God's promises, not some of them, not half of them, not the ones in the Old Testament only, 
not only the ones in the New Testament, but all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Which means what? If I were you, I would put a smile on your face. Because the moment he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your house will be saved, that promise will come to pass. If you believe it, praise like you know it. How many believe that God's promises are yes and amen? How many believe God never lies and he fulfills all of his promises? How many believe that not some of them, but all of his promises? All, how many believe that all of his promises? I'm going to say something crazy. When you go back, if the Lord tarries in a few years, five years, ten years, twenty years, when you go back to 2022, I rebuke the idea that one day, ten years from now, you say, oh, I remember 2022. That was the year we came out of COVID. No, man. Yeah, I need you to flip the script. I'm here to declare. You're going to go back and say 2022, that's the year God's promises. That's the year I saw the glory of Jesus in me like no other year prior. That's the year my entire family got saved. That's the year I went from glory to glory. That's the year I experienced breakthrough. That's the year every vestige of addiction stood annihilated by the grace of God. All of God's promises. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep. His promises. So you don't have to worry about the next. The outcome's already predetermined when you are in Christ. So when they ask, I, I believe everything the Father said. If the Father said it, I believe it. If Jesus said it, I believe it. If the Holy Spirit said it, I believe it. What's next is the fullness of everything that Jesus died for. What's next is Acts 16.31, Acts 2.17. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. What's next is the glory of God filling the earth, Numbers 14, 21. What's next is Galatians 6, 9, a harvest of blessings because the word of God never fails, Luke 1, 37. And here's a verse you should memorize today, Luke 18, 27. What is impossible for people, what is impossible for people is possible with God. So, no, no, no. Somebody put up that verse back there, please, if you have it, Luke 18, 27. Repeat after me. What is impossible for people is possible with God. Repeat it again. What is impossible for people is possible with God. Number two is the tension between a good advice and a great assignment. A tension between a good advice and a great assignment. So here it is. Two days passed, Jesus came along, and he determines and says, all right, I'm going in. And then his disciples respond this way, verse 8. Rabbi, only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you, try to kill you. There's no way you're going back there. And Jesus said, I'm going back to Judea. Now, his disciples, his friends, his brothers look at him and parenthetically speaking are saying, there's no way you're going back there. Great decisions require great discernment. Have you ever made a decision in your life? Where, where the good people around you with good intentions advised you to do something, but God was telling you to do something different. I'm going to ask that one more time. Have you ever been surrounded, not by your haters, not by your enemies, but by great people who love you, who gave you good advice, but God was telling you to do something different? If you've been there, raise one hand. If you've been there on more than one occasion, raise both hands. Good people 
with good intentions, giving you good advice. It's easy when it's bad advice. It's easy when the people are not full of God or, or they're saying something contrary to the will of God or the word of God. That's easy. But when, what happens when the advice comes from good people, even some, some good Christians? But the advice runs contrary to what the Holy Spirit already told you to do. Oh, boy. That's terrific tension. There are times that people around you will tell you don't do it. There are times your family members will tell you don't do it. There are times your flesh will tell you you won't do it. But the Spirit of God inside of you says do it. Why did he do it? Why would Jesus go back one more time? I'm going back. I'm going to go to Judea now. Don't go to Judea. They just tried to kill you. They literally stoned you. We had to drag you out and protect you, man. Are you, you, no. There's no way. Your mission hasn't been accomplished yet. You told us about your, you know, your destiny and purpose. And there's no way we're going to permit you to go back there. It may jeopardize the fulfillment of our Heavenly Father's purpose in your life. They could have spiritually and theologically justified it. Don't go back. And Jesus said, I'm going back. Why did Jesus go back? What drove him to go back to Judea? They just tried to kill him there. They kicked him out of Judea with an attempted assassination attempt. Why would he go back? Who was there? Who was there? Who was in Judea? Lazarus. Because that's what we do. That's what we do. We, as Christians, when our friends and our family members are in that situation, we are willing to go back because Christians don't let their friends die in a lie. You're missing it right now. There's no way Jesus going back today we was not, he, was, he didn't go back to relive the trauma. You never heard Jesus said, I'm going to go back to Judea, but, I'm, but I need to go through therapy because I have a twitch now as a result of what I went through in the past three weeks. He didn't go back to rehash the past. He didn't go back to reinforce the victimization status. He went back for his friend. He went back for his disciple. And, and when he went back, by the way, he, he did not just go back. He went back to the area where he was kicked out of. Watch this. He went back to Judea. Judea represents the place in your life where you were kicked out of. Not just, a, I'm not talking about a geographical place. I'm talking about a place in your relationship. I'm talking about the last relationship fell apart. So the relationship, Judea, is now a place of hurt and pain for you. That's why you don't date anymore. Or that's why you date the wrong people repeatedly. Because you lost trust. And now you have a different mindset. But all of a sudden, God fills you and says, go back. Because you're about to go back. But you're not going to go back the way you came out. The last time they saw you, you were bleeding and you were wounded. Because they threw stones at you but now you're going back you're going to occupy the very area that hell kicked you out of you you were about to step into an area your finances Judea could be financial you experienced bankruptcy or your credit score became nothing because of the debt that you got into everything fell apart financially all of a sudden God says go back to Judea God says, go back. I'm going to bless you in such a way financially. Why are you going back? When Jesus went back, he, again, last time he was here, what happened to him? He was stoned. They tried to kill him, and they kicked him out. And now he's going to go back to the very place where he experienced literally physical pain, threat, angst, consternation. He's going back. And this time when he went back, he did something different. This time he went back. His friend Lazarus was dead for how many days? 
four days. Never had Jesus resurrected someone who was dead for four days. He went back and he did what he never did before. I'm here to declare upon you, you are about to go back to Judea. This is, not, this is not about you revisiting your past trauma, going back to the old sin, going back to the old relationship. No, you're going into the, back to the old sphere, the old space, and you're about to shine the glory of Jesus like never before. You're going back, and I'm in Jesus' name, I'm here to tell you, when you go back just like Jesus performed his, one of his greatest miracles, you are about to see a miracle when you go back there, and, th and you're about to go back and say, aha, Surprise. Last time y'all saw me here, you saw me what being dragged out and protected because some of y'all try to kill me. I'm back, but I'm not back to confront you because what the enemy wants. What the enemy wants you to do is confront the people that stoned you. I'm preaching now. I'm preaching to five people. What the enemy wants you to do is focus on the people that stoned you. Focus on the people that hated you. Focus on the people that killed you. Try to kill your testimony, your character. You're saying, I'm not coming back for you. I'm coming back to tell all of my people that are dead in the tomb, come forth. I'm coming back to call out all of my family members and all of my friends. And I'm going to tell them, come out of your grave. I'm here to tell you, there's an anointing on your testimony. You are about to go to Judea and you're about to call everyone out. Somebody shout, come forth. Somebody shout, come forth. You're about to tell your loved ones, come forth. You're about to tell your friends, come forth. You're even about to tell some of those old haters, come forth. If you believe that, raise your hands. If you understand that you're going, I dare you to look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm going in. No, tell him, I'm going back in. No, 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 tell him, I'm going back in. Tell him, I'm going back in. I'm going to claim that space. I'm going to claim that space. That narrative will be redeemed. Judea will not be known for in your life. Judea will not be known for the place you were kicked out of and they tried to kill you. Judea will be known for the place of one of the greatest miracles in your life. Raise your hands, both hands, say, I'm going back in. I'm going back in. I'm going back in. He performed one of his greatest miracles. There was a threat. There was a miracle behind that threat. Wherever there's warfare, there's breakthrough behind the warfare. Wherever there's brokenness, there's a blessing behind the brokenness. Where there's an obstacle, there is overflow behind the obstacle. And wherever you see adversity in your life, there is abundance behind the adversity. I dare you to shout, I'm going in. You're about to go back and do greater things. In the very area that hell kicked you out of. You are about, I feel the Lord. You are about to go back and occupy the very area hell kicked you out of. You are about to go back and serve as the conduit for Christ to save, deliver, and heal friends and family members in the very areas you were pushed out of. One more time, say, I'm going back in. Repeat after me, I'm going back to Judea. And just make this declaration, I'm about to witness the salvation, the deliverance and healing of people I know in the very area where the enemy attempted to take me out. My goodness, the place where they tried to break you will be the place of your breakthrough. 
the place where they wounded you will be the place where God will do wonders through you. The place of the mess will become the place of the miracle. If you believe that one more time, raise both hands and say, I'm going back to Judea. I'm going in with my prayer. I'm going in with my praise. I'm going in with my worship. I'm going in with the word of God. I'm going in with the spirit of God. I'm going in with the blood of Jesus. I'm going in in the name of Jesus. There are areas you were kicked out of you need to go back and claim. Go one more time. You don't go back to find the people that threw stones your way. You go back to call the people that are dead in the tomb to come out in the name of Jesus. And by doing so, those that stoned you in the past, do your biblical due diligence. When Jesus went in and resurrected Lazarus, did they try to stone him now? Was there one person who dared pick up a stone and try to kill him this time? No. The moment Jesus looked at his friend who was dead for four, for four days and said, come forth, the haters had no other choice but to say, that's the son of God. You want to shut your haters up? Show them the glory of Jesus. Somebody get, if you want to shut the haters up, show them the glory of Jesus. Show them the glory of God. Something's happened. It's. Can I just say something? It's not like as a church we've never been kicked out. We've been kicked out of Judea. What's a Judea for us as a church corporately? In America, the church was very influential. The first schools that started, public education began via the conduit of the church. We were kicked out. We were kicked out. There was an attempt. They stoned us on the way out. We don't want that Christian stuff in here. Yeah, the church. Um, we, 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 we were strong and even in, some people say crazy stuff like Hollywood is not the devil, oh no it isn't and, and in the beginning, no it wasn't by the way and it, and it won't be, let me explain why ha Hollywood in the beginning in the 1920s Charlie Chaplin, Earl Flynn Buster Keaton, a bunch of other famous stars back when the industry kicked off, you know they would attend the church of a woman preacher, her name was Amy Sinclair McPherson Angelus Temple, they would go to church Charlie Chaplin was involved in the first, the first creative team, media team, Charlie Chaplin. Hollywood stars, the most famous star in the entire world, would go to a spirit-empowered, Christ-centered, Bible-based church. So in the beginning, Hollywood and, and Christianity, absolutely. And then they kicked us out. Yeah. Science, come on. From Isaac Newton to Kepler, and, and, and then they kicked us out. And so many politics and then they kicked us out. Why am I telling you this? Because we. We. I need you to look at your neighbor with a smile and say, we. We're going back in. I said, we're going back in. We're about to look at school boards in California and we're going back in. We're about to create more content for Netflix and Amazon Prime, for studios. And we're, there are artists in this church. There are creative young men and women that God has anointed. We're going back in. We're not going back in to establish a theocracy. We're going back in to shine the hope, the love, the grace, the truth, and the mercy that is found in Jesus. If you're ready to go back in and occupy the very area hell has fought to keep you out of, 
Now give God the biggest shout of praise. I dare you to shout, we're going back in. We're going back in. We're going. Is there a church ready to go back in? Is there a group of people that are hungry and desperate to go back in? Last point, last point. Come up here quickly. Last point. Last tension point. The tension of doing for others what you need God to do for you. Here it is. When he was told, when he arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. He was dead. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is called an anointed burrito. He was dead. So Jesus walks into a place where he was kicked out of. There was an assassination attempt. He went back in, didn't address his haters, focused on calling the people he loved forth. I hope you get that. Call them. He walks in and he resurrects him. Now, a few weeks later, what would happen to Jesus? He, he would experience what? Yeah. Resurrection. You missed it. He did for him what inevitably the Heavenly Father would do for him. Man, y'all didn't get that. Matthew 7, 12. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. You want to be forgiven? Go forgive someone. You, you want to be blessed? Bless someone. You want to be exalted? Lift someone up. You want to come out of your grave? Help someone else come out of their grave. Jesus resurrected Lazarus before he experienced resurrection. Find the friend that's in a pit. Find the friend that's in a tomb. Find the friend that's broken and tell them you're coming out. You're coming out. And when they tell you no, tell them I'm not giving you a choice because your breakthrough takes place right before my greatest miracle. So he came out, and this is the final tension. Jesus said, come forth. So I need you to be, go, go back to the grave, go back to the grave, back to the grave. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. So I want you to come out. Ooh. He came out, but he came out like that. He came out just like that. He was alive, but he was wrapped in the vestiges of what he went through. He was alive, but he was dressed. He looked like what he went through. He was living, yet he was dressed, wrapped around what he went through. There are, you can be alive and still wrapped in what you went through. You can be a Christian, by the way. There are religious folk. Haven't you ever been to a church where people are like mummies? They can't worship and they can't praise because even though they're saved and they're going to heaven, they're wrapped in the vestiges of a religious paradigm that somehow put a limitation and a lid on the full expression of worship and freedom that is found in the person of Christ. You can be alive and be wrapped in what you went through. You can be alive and still wrapped in the past. But just like Lazarus, ha, ha, oh boy, here we go. This never happened. Lazarus come forth. Lazarus comes out. So Jesus says, let me unwrap you. Jesus did not unwrap Lazarus. Jesus did not unwrap Lazarus. 
Jesus gave him life. Jesus said, come forth, I'm giving you life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he be dead, he be alive. Come forth. And he came forth. Jesus said, I gave you life. I'm not unwrapping you. That's not my job. I already did what I had to do. I did what I had to do. Some of y'all waiting for Jesus to show up and unwrap you. You're waiting for somehow for Jesus to unwrap you. No. If you can't unwrap yourself because it's almost impossible, surround yourself with the kind of people that will remove from you the vestiges of what you went through. If you're still wrapped up in your past, that means you're surrounded by the wrong. You missed it. If you're still wrapped in the hell you went through, you're surrounded by the wrong people. Because when you surround yourself with the right people, they won't let you look like that. They will un Somebody lift up your hands. I feel God right now, right here. If you still look like this, you're surrounded by the wrong people. Don't blame God. He already gave you life. Don't blame God. He already called you out. Don't blame God. He already saved you. Don't blame God. He already delivered you. Don't blame God. He already healed you. If you still look like that, you're surrounded by the wrong people. But today, today, you're in the right place at the right time with the right people. You are about to be unwrapped. You... All right, let's do it. Ready? What does this look like, Pastor Sam, from a practical perspective? Are you ready to unwrap? Now some of you, in a, when I, we're about to do something crazy here. We're about to go like this. Some of you all saved and still wrapped in what you went through. Can I prove it? If you talk more about your past than about your future, you're still wrapped in the vestiges of what you went through. If you wake up in the morning thinking about the stuff you did and they did to you, you're saved, but you're still wrapped in the vestiges of what you went through. If your tweets and your posts and your text messages talk more about the drama than about the destiny, you're still wrapped in the vestiges of what you went through. But today is a good day. I said today is a, I got, I got like a Dr. Dre thing going. Today is a good day. You are about to come out of those old grave clothes and you're about to shine. Lift up your hands. Surround yourself with the kind of people and say, no, you don't look like the life that God already gave you. Don't talk like that. Don't be like that. Don't date like that. Don't hook up like that. Don't give like that. Don't, 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 don't know. You're not who you used to be. You are a new creation. You are a new creation. We're going to unwrap you. Surround yourself with people in your life that when they see you, and don't act like you've never been there. Every single one of us, we've come out of circumstances that we walked out with the grave clothes of what we went through. But praise be the Lord. <laughs> Somebody prayed for you. Somebody prophesied over you. Somebody laid hands on you. Somebody gave a word for you. Are you with me right now? Somebody came along and said, get out, get out, get out. Unwrap him, loosen him, and let him go. So we're going to do it. At the count of three, you're going to do this. Y'all don't have to do it, but if you want to do it, let's do it. 
At the count of three, I want you to go like this, three times. One, two, three. What's going to happen? One, you're going to get dizzy. Two. <laughs> two. <laughs> two, you are showing God. You're showing God. I'm not wrapped in the vestiges of my past. You died for me via the conduit of repentance, and that word still works. Repentance is still a thing. Because I repented and called upon you and confessed to you. You already died for me. You, you resurrected for me. You gave me life, eternal life, John 3.16. Abundant life, John 10.10. 10. New life, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And yet I still look like this. Everybody look at me right now. There are people that still look like this. They look like that. Jesus never unwrapped them. He told the people around him, loose them. If you still look like that, you're surrounded by the wrong people. At the count of three, I want you to unwrap them. We're all going to do the mm, three. At the end of the third one, I want you to take one step out from where you're at. Like you're not even in the grave. You're not there. You're not even, those vestiges will never come back on you. You're about to exhibit the glory of God like never before. God's about to shine in you, with you, and through you, Lazarus, like never before. Here we go. That's the tension of being alive and yet wrapped in the vestiges of what you went through. But today that ends. You're going to love like you're completely free. You're going to forgive, give, speak, great, and live like you're a new creation. Here we go. The grave clothes, I sense the Lord to tell you, the grave clothes are coming off you right now as I speak. The grave clothes are coming off you. I, and we, this could be the loss of someone in your life. This could be a broken relationship. This could be a slip up. This could be a sinful indiscretion that even though you're saved, you blew it and you feel shame. This could be the vestige of shame and, and condemnation. This could be a traumatic experience. I gave you life. Now unwrap them. Ready? I don't know why I'm repeating this. Surround yourself with people that will not tolerate you looking like this. feel the Holy Ghost right now as I tell you 2022 God's going to surround you with the kind of people that will unwrap you that will prophesy into you, speak into you, lift you up. Are you ready? Ready? And give God the best praise when you do it. Ready? One, two, three Unwrap them. Go. Loosen him.
Loosen him and let him go. Loosen her and let her go. You will no longer be wrapped around by depression or anxiety or fear or shame, unrighteousness, sin, immorality, perpetual brokenness, victimization. Loosen him. Somebody shout like you're free. Somebody praise like you're free. Somebody move around like you're free. That season is over. Lift up your hands. You couldn't lift up your hands before, but now you can. You couldn't praise before, but now you can. You couldn't worship before, but now you, somebody shout like you're free and praise like you're Can you please tell your neighbor, I got you. No, tell him, I got you, man. I got you. I love you enough that if I see you wearing that, I love you enough that if I see you walking like this, I love you enough. I'm, I love you enough that I'm going to unwrap you in the name of Jesus. I love you enough to remind you that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I love you enough to remind you there is purpose for your life. I love you enough to remind you. That God has a plan for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you hope in the future. If you got this word, one more time. I just want to make sure you got it. Raise both hands. I got it. I almost got slain here by myself. Didn't preach the same message at 9 o'clock, by the way. Flipped it. Did you hear the part about when you go back to Judea, you don't confront the people that threw stones at you? You focus on calling people out of their tombs. You don't live to prove people wrong. You prove, you live to prove that Jesus is right and Jesus is right for you in your life. Oh man, I'm, I'm like, I got Jesus all over me right now. Can you take a 15 second praise break right about now and just... Somebody praise like the devil's been defeated and shout like hell cannot stand in your way. Somebody worship like you're coming into your greatest season. Somebody dance like you're out of your grave. 